All right, let's go ahead and start out. We'll pray, and then we'll um, get into our uh, uh, get into our scripture for the day. Heavenly Father, Yehovah, our God, I just thank you for this day, for this Sabbath, this day of rest, to um, be able to gather um, and to learn from your word, to study it, to apply it to our lives, and uh, to help us to grow, to live more like Yeshua, uh, more like you, to be conformed into uh, your image to be a pure, spotless bride, God. So just work in each one of our hearts to um, soften us, that we may walk out your ways, and that you would instill your word, which is who you are, into us, um, and that we would apply, uh, apply to our lives even the minute details that we are going to read about today. Because it all matters, as you say. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. All right, so we start out Deuteronomy 21. <coughs> portion, um, Moses is, well, God's basically speaking to the people through Moses as they're getting ready to go in the land. Uh, we basically only have two more weeks until Moses dies, and uh, um, he's buried, he gets buried on top of Mount Pisgah. Not the one out by Keene, but <laughs> the one over in Israel. Uh, actually not, well, yeah, it was in Israel. Uh, it's just on the other side of the Jordan currently occupied by Israel's enemies. So, he's giving his last dissertation, or his last words of wisdom to the people of Israel before they go in. And what I love about this, um, this passage is, you know, of all the things Moses, said David, Moses could tell him, or God could tell him, you know, one of the things he says is when you go to the bathroom, Go outside the camp, dig a hole, and cover it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, we, we, that's not the big, grandiose things that, you know, you would go to a big mega church and, and, you know, hear about, you know? But God cares about those things. Every detail of our lives, he's involved in and he's concerned about because it all works together as a whole to make an effective person because just like a human body, if you live in filth and you get sick, you're useless, and you can't be used by God. You're not a light for God, and you're sick. Likewise, the body of Messiah, if we do not conduct each one of our lives as we should, and we don't walk the way we should, and we walk in disobedience, and we become sick spiritually, I use air quotes there, or actual physically, they're really inseparable, we, we are ineffective, and, and the body isn't working quite right. I did something to my toe, and it got infected, and it, it makes your, it really messes you up, you know, when it's just one teeny little thing, but when you're in pain, when you're walking around all the time, uh, it affects the whole body. And so that's what happens with each one of us as well. And, and, and God speaks to those little micro details. And as we're going to read, as we go through in here, he says, you know, he tells them to go in the bathroom outside the camp and cover it up because he walks in the midst of them. For I, Yehovah your God, dwells in the midst of you and walks in the midst of you. Therefore you shall be holy as I am holy. You know. That's, that's the type of mentality we need to have 
in our daily goings on in our in our lives and in our interactions with our friends and our families and the things that we do. We're not just you're not just stacking wood, you know. You're stacking a good stack of wood. Because Yehovah walks in our midst. You know what I mean? You know, so all parts of our life are important and there is no mundane aspect of things. And it needs to be done properly. And, and quite frankly, that's why I, when missionaries go into certain areas and they bring the word of God to a people, it, it changes their lives fundamentally. Not just they start believing that, you know, the God of the Bible of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob created the heavens and the earth. They, oftentimes the savage practices that they did, they, they turn away from that and they, you know, you know what I mean? I, I can't think of a good example right now, but uh, I hate to use the words that can become civilized because I think that comes with all kinds of negati- negative connotations in the Western world that get projected out as good things but aren't necessarily. But, me, you know, from a biblical standpoint, you know, because that is what, to be civilized is to live out God's words and His ways, not American current culture, you know, because they would call... Uh, the Bible, uncivilized and barbaric. Because some of the things we're going to read about. And they would call them very uncivilized and barbaric. But I say, no, God's word is just, righteous, civilized, and good. And America's ways are barbaric. You know, we, the Bible is not the one I advocating for slaughtering thousands of unborn children every year. You know, or, anyway, let's go down that path. So, let's start. Let's get for it. So the first thing we're going to read about is when Israel goes to war. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 21, When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and Yehovah thy God hath taken them in thine hands, thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and has a desire under her that thou wouldest have her to thy wife. So the first thing, because this is built on the fact that when they went to war, they were to kill all the males, um, uh, um, <laughs> and leave the women and children alive, except for the, the, the people in the land, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Mosquito Bites, and all those <laughs> And so they were supposed to wipe them out completely. Other nations that they went to war with, they were only supposed to kill the men, and they were saved the women and the children alive. And so if you're a young soldier in, in battle there, and you see other women that get taken captive, one that's like, wow, she's wow, amazing. You want to marry her? You're allowed to do that, but there's certain stipulations that you that uh, um, come with that. She has to cut her hair, trim her nails, and mourn for her family, and then you can take her to wife. But then there's also because now she becomes part of the people of Israel through the marriage with that man, she now has rights that would not have been bestowed on her before. So when if he finds no pleasure in her. We're going to find out later. Basically, means he was, she wasn't a virgin. She lied to him that she wasn't a virgin when he married her. Um, he can put her away, but but um, uh, not to scrape. So we'll just read what it says here. <laughs> All right, um, fourteen. And it, if it be if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will. Thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make merchandise of her, because thou hast humbled her. In other words, you can't treat her her as a captive slave anymore. She is a citizen of Israel, and she has rights within the community of people. So I say, 
What what nation is there who, especially in that day and age, had this these things? They didn't have this. They were treated like slaves. Were treated like merchandise and women, especially horrible. Horrible. Whereas the Bible said, no, you know, there are there are uh, ways that we treat people, specifically laid out from God Himself, because. People are valuable and they're important, and so this was the law that uh, that they made when if you took a woman captive. <coughs> Immediately following up with that, we go into the church verse uh, fifteen. If a man has two wives, one beloved and one hated, and they born him both children. Well, basically, what it's going to say is uh, the firstborn son gets the inheritance, even if you don't like that wife. <laughs> you don't get to pick and choose. Uh, for instance, um, and there'll be a caveat to this, Reuben was Jacob, Israel's firstborn son, through Leah, who he really didn't want to marry. But he had really no choice in the inheritance going to him until he forfeited that through sleeping with um, the handmaid Bilhah, I think. I think it was Rachel's handmaid. And so when he did that, he lost his right of the firstborn and the firstborn's inheritance and Israel Jacob gave that to Ephraim and he became the firstborn and that's why much of what you read in the prophecies of Ephraim is is of he gets the blessings of the inheritance of the firstborn not Reuben anymore and so when you have someone who has two wives he's not allowed to diminish the rights of the firstborn just because he doesn't like that wife as much he still has to uh, give the, that right of inheritance to him. And so God puts a lot of weight and a lot of importance on family uh, family heritage, family dynamics, what's right and wrong, instead of acting selfishly, basically, and doing whatever the heck you want. God lays forth these things that keeps the structure of a family and a society functioning properly the way it should be. Now you're probably all wondering, you're probably all wondering, well, wait a minute, what about the whole two wives issue? Uh, uh, I don't know if that, well, we'll address it right now, I guess. Okay, so, <laughs> I, I believe, uh, um, this is my opinion, but I think it's right. <laughs> the Bible lays forth in the very beginning, man shall leave his mother and father and be joined unto his wife. It is singular there. From the beginning, God meant one male, one female, not multiples. I believe the cases in which multiple wives happen and where the Bible addresses it is not that it is permitting multiple wives, but it is, it is making provisions where certain situations happen such that a man has two wives. Does that make sense? So I believe there are certain circumstances where a man can't end up with two wives. <coughs> Could be wrong. <clears throat> um, one of them being, um, if, um, I think, I think they're rare though, if they ever happen, quite frankly. So take this with somewhat a grain of salt. But so if, uh, there, there's brethren dwelling together and one of the brothers dies and the next brother needs to raise up an heir for his brother who died through his deceased sister-in-law, that is a situation where I believe you could end up with a second wife. And um, there was another one, and I didn't write it down. It'll, it'll, it might come to me. 
um, where there's a situation where a man may end up with another with a second wife. But again, the important thing in here, it's not because he feels like taking another wife. That is not permitted by the Bible. It is, it is a provision, I believe, that, that can be made or allowed for the sake of... See, because you got... Let me finish my statement. For the sake of the wife and the children of, of that wife uh, and that woman who uh, her husband died. It's to protect her and to protect her children and to protect her rights. It's not so that this dude can have two wives because he feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Everybody's bummed out. All the guys are bummed out. <laughs> I, I, one is enough. Oh my gosh. I would just... Well, you read through the Bible, show me an example where it's worked out positively where a guy's had more than one wife. It doesn't, it doesn't, Go well. There's always conflict. So, um, I was going to interrupt. My, I'm sorry, my head's so just all over the place today. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so that that's where the the situation with the whole two wives things is a provision for the sake of the. Um, for the sake of the wife, for the sake of the children, and the inheritance and the land and everything that goes with that. Um, because God cares about uh, the, 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 the culture and the people and the structure of everything. And that's, I get, that's I guess, what I was going to say, is what's, what's so built, you have to look at it like a big overarching theme of God's word and his commandments to his people that it's it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. It's to create a a whole social world and structure, family, individual, national, leaders, judgment, land, crops, where you go to the bathroom, so that so that it all works properly. Because whenever, it's like a Lego piece. You get, start, or Jenga. We played Jenga the other day. You start pulling enough of the pieces out of there. Ever played Jenga? You know what, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And you pull the pieces out until, and you keep putting them on top until it falls over. So, is if we start nitpicking from God's laws, and we start, not the Sabbath. doesn't matter what we do on that anymore. We work. So, we pull the Sabbath block out of there. And then we pull the dietary block out of there. And then we pull the uh, stoning the rebellious son out of there. And we pull the death for people who abduct other people out of there. And we pull the it doesn't matter where you go the bathroom out of there. And we pull the, well, that's not my ox. Who gives a flip out of there? All uh, Eventually, it all crumbles down and you get chaos which has ensued in our culture and through the world. And so then to make up for that, the government go ahead. The government gets bigger and it gets more encompassing in our lives and you get ruled by corrupt leaders who takes bribes and take and, and righteousness and justice is all contorted. And that's what we have today. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is all these little things are not little things. Everything's a little thing. Uh, until you take enough little things and it all falls apart. And so it's important that we, 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 we 
uphold these things and we support them and we keep them. When it says to keep the commandments, it, it's the same thing like uh, uh, Adam was supposed to keep the garden. It means to, like you would keep a garden. You, you, you water it and you fertilize it and you weed it and you watch over the plants and you get rid of the bugs. That's what keeping the commandments means. Because built into the commandments are provisions also for when we mess up. And because and, and, God knew that we would. And so he made, so we protect that too. No, we don't just say, well, the blood of Yeshua, you know, and, and, and then go do whatever we feel like. No, that is, that is not keeping the commandments. That is not following Yeshua. And that is not believing in Yeshua. Because if you have the faith of Abraham, you will do the works of Abraham, God says. If you believe in the Father, you believe in me, Yeshua says. These things are inseparable. So even to down to when Israel goes to war and they, mar- and they get captive women, they get certain rights established to them. And this is very important because as we're going to read when we go down, uh, we'll, we'll just get there. Uh, I'm not get anywhere. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, 18. If a man has a rebellious son and stubborn, you're supposed to stone him. I probably would have been stoned. I don't know. <laughs> Although it, it, it's, it's implied that he cannot be turned from his wicked ways, you know, and he will not turn. And it says he's a drunkard, and there's all kinds of bad things that he's to be stoned. Now, this isn't... Uh, a yalad. This isn't a small boy. This is a grown man who who is a rebellious son. Um, that person is to be stoned. So it's not your kid. You know, doesn't take out the trash when you told him to, and now you're gonna stone him. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. So and then in 22, uh, but this is you know backing up to the stone in the sun, you know. We, we, you know, our, 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 our justice system and our sense of fear of laws and, and ramifications for sin is so diminished in, in our current state, um, you know. And, and Yeshua didn't come and do away with penalties for disobedience to the Torah. He came to die the death of the firstborn, which redeems you back, that gets you out of Egypt, right? Redeems, takes away that separation between you and and God, because you are just permanently separated because of your sin, and then no man can come to God in their sinful state. That doesn't mean that you don't ever do anything wrong again. And that's what the Torah is for. That's why the, the Torah was given at Sinai after they left Egypt. And so there are provisions in there for when to how to deal with sin. And some of those are death penalty. You know, so... Uh, uh, Paul and I are out chopping trees down. My axe head flies off, hits him in the head. He dies. I go to the refugee city. I hang out there, but I'm like, oh, man, I want to go to the ocean really bad. I'm just going to sneak out and go to the ocean. So I sneak out and I go to the ocean, but Paul's grandson finds me and says, you're not supposed to be out of the refuge city. And he goes, and shoots me dead. That's the avenging of the blood because... You're not supposed to leave the rest of the Jesus city until the high priest dies. So there's still ramifications for disobedience. Whether or not you're uh, you know, a believer in Yeshua. Is that, do you understand that? Alright. So, 22. If a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, 
and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree. But thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God. That thy land be not defiled, for Ye- which Jehovah thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So after you stone someone, they were to be hung as a tree on the tree on a tree as, as an example, saying, "All ye hear and fear," you know. And so that's what happened with Yeshua. He was almost killed on the tree, but he was hung on a tree, and he, and he took the curse of sin upon him instead of us. Twenty-two. This I love. <laughs> Because I always feel really guilty, you know. I, I never know exactly how to put this um, into practice. You know, I don't have anybody who... Uh, maybe. Well, actually, I have done this maybe in certain ways with... Um, I had... Oh, I had a good one, actually. It wasn't technically a donkey. It was a mule, but I did save my neighbor's ass. Because <laughs> it actually escaped when I was working on some other horses, and it ran, I see this mule running down the road. I'm like... That's probably not supposed to happen. <laughs> so, well, actually, what I did, the pony was running with him, and I got the pony, and the mule followed the pony, and they were friends. So, anyway, so the principle being, you're not allowed to turn a blind eye when your neighbor is in distress, whether your neighbor realizes it or not. So, if his animal escapes or his dog escapes, you're not allowed to be like, ah, oh, that's stupid dog. I don't like him anyway. <laughs> Which. <laughs> I'd probably be guilty of that one. <laughs> or a stray dog. Now, don't don't turn this into trying to pick up every stray dog that you see on the street. I've had my stupid dog picked up more times than I can count by what well, good intention people that I appreciate. But it's like, you know, he's on the edge of my front yard. He's not lost, you know. So, use common sense, you know what I mean? But, um... The principle relies that you're not allowed to ignore when your neighbor's in need and uh, you're to help him. And also, you're supposed, if you see his, his donkey is fallen under his load, you're to help the donkey. So there's provisions in there for even uh, you know, taking care of the animals. And you can't just ignore that. All right, let's see. And then there's a whole bunch of little things. Um, in verse 5 of chapter 22, um, Women shall not wear that which pertaineth unto man, neither shall man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto Yehovah thy God. This is a really big one because we have a whole lot of this going on in our culture in this day and age, and it's abomination to God. <coughs> now, that doesn't mean um, women can't wear pants. You know. I do believe that this is somewhat, somewhat culture-dependent. You know, Men don't wear skirts, though. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, except for, <laughs> except for a kilt. Yeah, if you're Scottish, that's obviously a man's, a man's garment. And so, I tell people, you know, don't be stupid. Use your common sense. This isn't that hard to figure out. You know what I mean? And so, but this is very important. You're to, um, you're to distinguish genders. And this is... Shows the how how far our stupid culture has become in in blurring all lines of anything to say, well, just because his body is like that and he's its body is like that and it was born that way, it can be whatever it wants. No, it can't. 
You know, that's not how God made things. That's not how DNA works. It's, it's not how anything works. You know, but mankind feels it's okay to throw off any anything. <laughs> and it leads to chaos in lives and families and relationships. And all you see is destruction because of that. And even to a bird's nest in verse 6. If you see a bird's nest on the ground, and whether they be young ones, eggs, dam sitting upon the young, or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. So, again, this idea of uh, preserving the life, you know, conservation. You don't take the dam and the young. You let the dam go and you can take the eggs. And... Uh, even into eight, if you build a house, you got to put a root, uh, uh, a railing around the roof of that house. If you sow a vineyard, you're not supposed to put multiple kinds of seed in that vineyard. And if you plow, uh, you're not supposed to plow with an ox and an uh, ass together. Don't wear diverse sorts uh, of uh, clothing, a garment of diverse, diverse sorts, woolen or linen. And um, thou shalt not. And then he says, thou shalt make fringes upon quarters of thy vestiture, wherewith thou coverest thyself. So he talks about all these little things, you know, the the idea of, there, there's there's the practical application, I believe these are little commandments, no woolen linen, don't plow with an ox and a donkey, don't plant diverse seeds in your vineyard, and um, put a roof on, a railing around on the roof of your house, soon it falls off it. Um, these are little commandments, but they also teach principles of not mixing things, and that's why I think he says, um, very next thing after that is put tzitzit on the four corners of your garment because the tzitzit, what they teach you to why do we wear tzitzit to remind us of God, to remember to obey God, right? And it because the print it says, you shall put them on their corners of your garment so that when you see them, you will not go whoring after your own eyes, but remember to obey the Lord your God. And so the idea being, you don't mix in things from the world and things from whatever is in your deep, dark, evil heart. You serve God and you keep his ways. And in that passage comes right on the heels of, if I remember correctly, when they stone a guy for not keeping the Sabbath. And so you're supposed to look at him and be like, oh yeah, it's a Sabbath. We're not, we're not going to work today. You know, we keep this day set apart separated, not mixed with whatever else we want to. All right, and now if we continue on. Um, now, this, the rest of this chapter is all about uh, relations between men and women. And the first one being, um, it, and then it goes, it talks about it a little bit later on, but um, we were talking about this a few Saturdays ago when you were over that, and um, how when a man marries a woman, so 13, if a man take a wife and go into her and hate her and give occasions of speech against her and bring an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman. When I came into her, I found her not a maid. So then they go through this whole thing of proving whether or not the woman was a maid when she was married. And um, if she's not, then they're to stone her and put away the evil from the midst of Israel. But if she is, he is supposed to... Um, pay the father for um, for for his slander basically that he brought upon the family essentially and so <clears throat> as far as I 
have been able to, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Uh, as far as I have been able to see, see from the Bible, the only provision that is made for divorce is if it is found that the woman was not a virgin once the couple is married. That's it. So I used to think growing up and that if there was infidelity, that that was, was ground for the divorce. It's actually not. It's grounds for stoning the person, but it's not grounds for divorce. I believe really the only provision for divorce is actually that a man can divorce his wife. I, I don't see biblically that a woman actually has any grounds anywhere to divorce his wife. What's important about that and what we lack in today's society is the Bible assumes that the man is going to be who he's supposed to be. But that's part of the problem from the very beginning is men, and this is something we have to fight in ourselves, we shirk our responsibility. Because that's what Adam did. He should have protected his wife. He should have stopped on the snake. And he said, get, get away from here. And he should have been paying attention to the situation. That's why Paul says it was Eve's folly and Adam's transgression. It was Adam's fault. He didn't do his job. He was the leader. He was the one in charge. So in any marriage or in a relationship, the man is supposed to protect and watch over and take care of his wife because it is his own body. And so that's why there's no provision for a woman to, to, um, to initiate action of divorce because because a man's the leader of the household, and those roles are so important and have to be maintained for the health of a marriage and for the health of a whole society, and they're being continually broken down. And on TV show, you know, men are just uh, displayed and portrayed as oafs and doofuses, and you have these extremely strong old women that run the household, and that's not the way God designed it, and it's not good for the woman. And it's not good for the children, and it's not good for the husband. And so a healthy family is one in which the man answers to God, obeys God, walks as he should be, and leads his household strongly. And where a woman uh, submits to his authorityship as a submitting to God himself, and understanding that ideally the man is supposed to be doing what he should be, and be a good man, and take care of that household, and take care of that wife. And so... The only provision for divorce is when, um, Gideon, go sit with Gampa. Um, the only provision for divorce is when, uh, it's found that the woman has lied. And so the whole premise of trust, of, of, um, purity and cleanness in the, in the relationship is, um, has been undermined in that relationship. But the woman, but the husband doesn't have to put away his uh, his wife. Just like Joseph wasn't going to make it public to spray of Mary and have her stone because he had, could have had her stone. Um, he uh, he was going to put her away secretly. So now um, then, there's other situations that happen between man and woman. We'll read those in twenty two. If a man be found lying with a married woman married to a husband, then they shall both die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. 
so that thou put away evil from Israel. So, a man and a married woman that uh, that aren't, you know, of the right marriage, they're to be put to death. If a damsel that is a virgin, verse 32, if a damsel that is a virgin betrothed unto a husband, and a man find her in the city and lie with her, then you shall bring both of them out under the gate of the city, and you shall stone them with stones that they die. The damsel, because she cried not, being in the city, and the man, because he hath humbled his neighbor's wife, so thou shalt put away the evil from the from among you. So if he's betrothed to, uh, she's betrothed to a husband, to or to a man, they're supposed to be put to death. Twenty five. But if a man find a betrothed damsel in the field, and the man force her and lie with her, then the man only that lay with her shall die. So. In other words, if he rapes her uh, in the field and no one can come to help her, obviously you don't put her to death. And it just the man gets put to death. Um, but if it's in a city, in other words, a populated place, and she doesn't cry out, doesn't resist, in other words, she, you know, it's consent, um, then they both are put to death. And uh, bah, bah, bah. 28, this is a very important one that our world would be completely different where it stuck to. If a man find a damsel that is a virgin which is not betrothed and lay hold on her and lie with her and they be found, then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel fifty shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he hath humbled her. He may not put her away all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife nor discover his father's skirt. So, um, 28 and 29, so if you have two unmarried people, man and woman, and then they lie together, um, he is to marry her. That is his obligation because he has humbled her, and he has to pay the father for that fifty shekels of silver. And um, you know, now in day, our day and age, people, you know, you, you meet polyamorists. You know, it's love whoever, whatever, wherever, whenever. You know, that's. that's garbage, not the way I was going to want to say, but that's garbage, it's not the way God intended it, and you, when you actually talk to these people, none of them are happy, none of them are filled and so satisfied, they all think they're getting what they want, but they're not, and they know that, but they choose to live out their fleshly desires anyway, with, with no thought of consequence of that, and, um, but there are consequences, serious ones, and uh, you can see it pervades those cultures. Okay, so let's keep going. And 23. He that is wounded in the stones or at the spirit men were covered off shall not enter into the congregation of Yehovah. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of Yehovah. Even to the tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yehovah. So, I think that's pretty descriptive in and of itself what that means. Uh who's not allowed into the congregation. And um, the word bastard there, it's not the way our culture uses the word. It's more implies uh, the offspring of an incestuous relationship is what it implies there. Um, Verse 3, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of Yehovah. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of Yehovah forever. So, um, What's important about that is the um, Ruth was a Moabite. I was going to ask that question. Yeah, we're going to cover that. So, so Ruth was a Moabite, and um, 
But what was different about it? So a, a Moabite that stays a Moabite cannot enter into the congregation of Israel under the 10th generation. But Ruth didn't stay a Moabite because she chose to follow the God of Israel. She said, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. She no longer is a Moabite. She's a, like we say, African-American. African-American. You could say she's a Moabite Israelite. But she's an Israelite with the full rights, standings, inheritance, and everything of of the... So much so, she could be the great-grandmother of the king of Israel. And so... And, and she didn't go through a conversion process because of that. It was her faith that joined her to Israel. Just like Caleb, who was a Kenizzite, um, who was a... Uh, maybe he was an Edomite. He wasn't an Ammonite. He was an Edomite. Yeah, well, huh? Yeah, the Ken- they're from Edom. They're an offspring of the children of Edom. And so... These two groups of people, they, we kind of like the same problem we have in today's country. You know, people want to come in to America, and I'm not saying I agree with any of this. I'm just using an example. And they want to uh, be Americans, but they don't want to be Americans. You know, live in American values and lifestyle. They want to stay exactly who they were, where they were, but come here and get all the perks of it. The Bible's saying same thing is, is, is the same thing going on. You can't be a Moabite, say, I want to be in Israel, move into Israel, and then do whatever the heck you want, stay a Moabite, serve your Moabite gods, live your Moabite customs. You leave all that behind, and you become an Israelite, you serve the God of Israelite, you keep his holidays, you keep his laws, because that's, that's what happened when everybody left Egypt, no matter what, what blood was running through your veins. And that's the whole point of what Yeshua was teaching when he said, I will take the nation from the nations, from the Gentiles, and make a people who are not a people. And they should be called the children of God. Because it's been the same thing from day one. That's why Cain was a bad guy, and Abel was a good, Abel was a good guy. It had nothing to do that they were both children of uh, uh, Adam or not. It had to do with what was in their heart that made the difference? Because what was in their heart and in their spirit motivated their actions. And one found favor and the other didn't find favor. And thus the story unfolds and it grows another, you know, each direction. And so the same is the same exact thing today. And that's why the beautiful beautiful things of these stories. And that's why I think God gives us these stories because they're going to be like, well, wait a minute, what about the Moabites? You know? And so, so we have Ruth the Moabite to you know, shoot down all the naysaying arguments. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, verse 7, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother, and thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou was a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of Yehovah in their third generation. When the house um, goeth forth against thine enemies, then keep thee from every wicked thing. So this is where um, I was talking about, you know, the laws for going to the bathroom. When they were to go to the bathroom outside the camp. Verse 14, For Yehovah thy God walketh 
in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee. Go sit on over there on the other end of the table. Yehovah the God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee, and turn away from thee. So this is really profound. So God walks in the midst of the camp of them to deliver them and, and, and cares so much so about what's going on that it's not just, you know, someone's being a jerk and saying bad words and having a bad, a bad attitude. You know, it matters how you conduct your day-to-day physical operations. How much more so in our own lives, you know? But I think, you know, we're... Praise God, he's turning us back to his ways and his Torah and his commandments so that we can be clean and be cleansed. And I'm not talking about pouring water over your hands, you know, and saying the right blessings. I'm talking about keeping God's words, his commandments and his ways, because those are the things that make us clean physically and spiritually, seen and unseen, internally in our heart and our minds and our soul and our motivations and physically in what we do in our houses and our, our day-to-day operations. You know, if someone's... Usually what's going on in, some, in the inside of someone's life is, is exemplified by what's going on outside of someone's life. So, you know, you all had friends going up in their rooms were just a disaster. It's usually because that person is kind of lazy and pretty unorganized. Or they can only function in one facet, you know. They might be great in one little intellectual, you know, spectrum. But the rest of their lives is a disaster. We're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be well-balanced people in all aspects of our lives. So that our lives show forth the glory of God. <laughs> Alright, and what's going on? Yeah. So, in, uh, we'll kind of go quickly through the rest of 23. Um, so, you're not supposed, so escape servants, you're not supposed to return them. Uh, you shall not have any whores or sodomites in the, in the, um, in the, in the camp. Uh, you're not supposed to lend with usury to your brethren, to the uh, brethren. To, in other words, you're not supposed to collect interest to those in the, in the, um, in the community. Uh, you're supposed to keep your vows, and, um, if you walk into your brother's, um, or when you're, when you're gleaning your vineyard or your field, or garden for that matter, and you pick everything, and then you look back and you see you left four or five cucumbers hanging on the vine, you're not supposed to go back and get those. You're supposed to leave those for the, for the fatherless, the stranger, and the widow, in other words, this is God's welfare program. It wasn't, you know, we'll, we'll bring it to your doorstep and you don't have to do anything. You have to still go out and collect these things for yourself. But it, God provided, like just with Ruth, with the corners of the field. And he purposely said, let some of the grain fall when you're harvesting so that the young lady may pick it up. And so it was God's way of providing for those who didn't have means for whatever reason um, Either a stranger, they couldn't get employment, or fatherless, meaning they don't, uh, they're, they're orphans uh, or they're widows. They don't have a husband to, and a father to provide for them like would normally happen. God provides from them from the leftovers of the rest of the land, and that was very important. 
And um, again, we have in verse twenty, chapter twenty-four, verse one, you have more, um, more divorce stuff talking about that. And uh, verse five of twenty-four, if you take a new wife, uh, you're not supposed to go to war for a year, and not supposed to be charged with any business for a year. So you can be home for a whole year and uh, shall cheer up his wife, which you have taken. That would be sweet to have a whole year off before, uh, you know, when you first get married. And unfortunately that, um, is, you know, is not in our culture anymore. Uh, but it should be. And, um, verse 7, this is extremely important and, and does not get and enforced in any manner, which it should be in, in our current culture. If a man be found stealing any of his brethren of the children of Israel and make it merchandise for them or sell with them, then that thief shall die, and thou shalt put evil away from among you. And uh, that, you know, so abduction, the penalty for abduction is death. You know, and it should be still today. Eight, uh, take heed in the plague of electricity that I'll observe diligently to do all uh, according to that the priests and Levites shall teach you, and I command them, so you shall observe to do. Remember what Yahweh your God did unto Miriam, by the way after that you were come forth out of Egypt. So I find it interesting that it, re- it goes all the way back and references, remember, he says, remember what happened to Miriam? And what happened to Miriam? She brought slander against Moses because of the wife uh, he had taken. And God basically said, who are you to accuse Moses? And put leprosy on her. And so most oftentimes we see leprosy happen because of, um, usually it's a external uh, manifestation penalty for what's happening internally on a person and uh, I've, we've talked about that before and it's really cool actually um, because if you tie that into Yeshua healing the lepers um, it's just fascinating it's really really cool but we're, we don't have time for that <laughs> and um, uh, I think we're almost done here so 25 uh Verse 1 through 3, he basically talks about, you know, having good justice and good judgment and not, you know, whipping your neighbor too much. Um, and the, not muzzling an ox when he treads corn. And this is another, the, like I was talking about, if a brother dies and he's supposed to raise up an heir for his um, brother, just like with, with Ruth and Boaz. Boaz said, well, I'll take, I'll, you know, take her to wife, but there's a next of kin, and he didn't want to raise up a done. So they took off his wife, and now, or uh, wife, his shoe, and he's sandal, and said, he's, you know, now the house of one who has a sandal that's not on anymore. <laughs> that's a paraphrase, but. Um, so that was the situation there, and when two men strive together, <coughs> this is always one that, kind of was just like, what? Why is that in there? But it has a larger point. You know, if two guys are fighting together, one of the wives is not supposed to get involved and grab where she shouldn't be grabbing. Uh, why? Because you're affecting uh, the ability for that guy to then procreate, to have an inheritance, to have children. So God puts so much on the family, inheritance, and passing on land, passing on goods, and these things are very, very important. And uh, and then he says, finally, uh, well, they're supposed to have a just weight and be perfect. 
17, remember what Amalek did to the on the way when you were come forth of Egypt. And he says, uh, you were to blot them out. Blot out the remembrance of Amalekite from under the heavens. Thou shalt not forget it. So he's very adamant about how they're supposed to deal with Amalek because they attacked them when they were leading Egypt in the rear. They, you know, very, just as bad as bad as you can get. And so he says, they're, they're to be wiped out. Okay, quickly, let's go to our Hathor portion, Isaiah 54, 1 through 10. We'll read that. Quick. Okay, Isaiah chapter 54. I know it's a lot to cover and a lot to get through, but I don't know what else to do. Otherwise, I feel like we wouldn't cover it all. And, but then there's still, there's still so much more that we need to cover, so I don't know. That's where, part, you know, you guys should be reading your own Bibles, basically. You know, it's not for me to spoon-feed you everything. Um, so do that. But, uh, you know, I would like to go through more things. I don't know. We'll try to do that at some point. I don't know. Maybe if... Um, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Isaiah 54. <laughs> Sing, O bear, thou that does not bear... Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou didst not travail with trial. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith Yehovah. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch out and forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither shalt... Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and not, shall not remember the reproach of thy wooden head any more. For thy maker is thine husband. Jehovah of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For Jehovah hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I heard my face from thee, and for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy unto thee, saith Yehovah thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith Yehovah, that hath mercy upon me. Amen. All right, let's go to uh, Luke 23 real quick. Mark Luke. <coughs> 1 through 25. <coughs> Just kind of continuing on the narrative that we've been reading about Yeshua. Uh, leading up to his crucifixion. 23, And the whole multitude arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Messiah, a king. Pilate answered him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. 
And they were the more fierce, saying, He striveth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. <clears throat> when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's district, jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who... Uh, who himself was also at Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Yeshua, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And he questioned him with many words, but he answered nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, sent him at naught and mocked him. And arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. Where are we going to 25? And Pilate, when he had called the people to the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault. And this man, touching those, wherever you accuse him, nor, no, nor yet Herod. For I sent him to you, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried all uh, out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto Baras Barabbas. For who was a certain sedition made in the city, um, for a certain sedition made in the city, and made for, and for more murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Yeshua, spake unto them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them a third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were insistent, with loud voices, requiring that he, requiring that he might be crucified. And their voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and who released unto them, unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Yeshua to their will. And thus, read our apostolic portion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this uh, word, for your word, and for this day, and for this time to read it and spend it. And uh, I just pray, pray that you would use it in and through our lives to change us and conform us to your will and way and that uh, we apply it to our lives and that we be diligent to lean not on our own understanding and the understanding of anything around us and in our life and culture but that we we weigh it all against your word that we might uh, live as you desire us to God and I thank you for these things in Yeshua's name Amen